You're listening to a sermon preached at Meridian Church. For more information about Meridian Church, visit meridianchurch.com. It is our hope that this sermon is used by the Holy Spirit to minister to you the grace and peace found in Jesus Christ to the glory of God the Father. And now, here's your sermon audio. God's holy word to the Gospel of John. Gospel of John, chapter 8. Our focus today will be on verses 49, 48 through 59. Be reading verses 30 through 59. John chapter 8, beginning with verse 30. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, You are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are the offspring of Abraham, and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say, you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham. Yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak what I've seen from my father and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if, Ab- if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father... You would love me, for I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but He sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But Because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father. And you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it. And he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. And yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. 
It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You're not yet fifty years old. And have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly. I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy Father, you are Yahweh, the great I am. There is no other. You and you alone are God. You are transcendent. You are high. You are holy. You alone are the creator. All else is of your hand. And forgive us. Of our every sin. That is an attempt to dethrone you and elevate ourselves. Grant grace to see that now by sinners who are in rebellion and don't think they are. They don't know you. Perhaps they think they do. Open their eyes. Liberate them. Grant them freedom in Christ. As they hear Christ proclaimed, may their hearts leap out in faith towards Him. For we are children. May we see afresh today the magnitude of our sin and the greatness of Your grace. In the strong name of Jesus, I ask this. Amen. Since the serpent hissed in the garden, man has vainly tried the ultimate switcheroo. The serpent said to the woman, Genesis 3, 4 and 5, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Not only the switch of trying to put life in the place of death and death in the place of life. There's a switch that comes in the promise, you will be like God. The serpent was in all of this reversing the creation order that God had set. He's speaking to the woman. Placing her over her husband. And under them both, God. And over them all, the serpent. Creation. Which was meant to be under the feet of man. Coming over them all. 
As we look at our text in 8, 12 through 59, the central question is who? Supremely, who is Jesus? That's the paramount question in 12 through 30. As Jesus opens with the declaration, I am the light of the world. And the Jews, the, the religious leaders quickly protest that he's bearing witness to himself. Your testimony isn't valid. Jesus masterfully steers that conversation so that they end by asking him to do just what they said he couldn't do, to bear witness to himself as they ask, verse 25, who are you? And then in 31 through 47, Jesus exposes who they are. Jesus is the son of the father. They are the children of the devil. And now in this final portion of John 8, we come back to the question of who Jesus is. But here you see them trying to switch places. They've claimed God as their father in verse 41. We have one father, even God. But now they take it a step further and they say to Jesus, you have a demon. He said, you are of your father, the devil. And they try to switch it. We have one father, even God. You have a demon. In the wake of that first switcheroo, Genesis 3, the promise of salvation came as God cursed the serpent, saying, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. As man tries to switch places with God, you see he also tries to switch seeds. I'm not the seed of the serpent. I'm not the offspring of the serpent. I'm the seed of Abraham. I'm the seed of the woman. It's what the Jews try to do here. It's what man tries to do with his religion. That's what religion is. It's the seed of the serpent trying to play like they're the seed of the woman. Sometimes the spawn of Satan, called darkness light and light darkness, not for the express purpose of knowing evil. Sometimes they make that switch with the thinly veiled language of knowing good. It's about knowing good. That's religion. The seed of the serpent, pretending to be the seed of the woman, good in the pursuit of evil. Note that their statement in verse 48 is an answer. They answered Jesus. The Jews answered him. What are they answering? Everything that Jesus has been saying to them since this interaction began in verse 31 following. But in particular, they're answering Jesus' charge that they're not the children of Abraham. They are the children of the devil. He had told them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. 39 and 40. And so 
Who then is their father? Verse 44, you are of your father, the devil. So Jesus has made arguments to show them who they are. He's put tests before them. Tests that they can run, diagnostics they can run on themselves that demonstrate this. He's even teased out some of those tests, demonstrating this is so. Jesus has rejected their claim to Abraham, so they reject his. Not with any argument, they just trade insult for insult. You are a Samaritan and you have a demon. I don't think they intend to say, we really literally think you are a Samaritan. It's a just rejection of his heritage, his parentage, his roots. He's rejected their claim to Abraham. They reject his. He's not a true Jew. And this is in line with what was likely a thinly veiled accusation that they made back in verse 41. We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. We know your origins. One scholar has pointed out that earlier in John, we have a Samaritan who recognizes Jesus as a Jew. And now we have Jews slandering Jesus as a Samaritan. You remember when that interaction began with the Samaritan woman? She said, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And then this parenthetical statement, for the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Not only so, but following that interaction... We have the Samaritans exclaiming, we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. So we have that interaction with the Samaritan woman that begins rocky and ends with the Samaritans exclaiming, we know you are the Savior of the world. We have this interaction that begins with Jews who believed, and now they're saying, you have a demon. Further, in saying you're a Samaritan, they say he has a demon. And it's one thing for sinful man to put himself in the place of God. It is a greater evil to try to put God in the place of the devil. God has told them, you are of your father the devil. And now they say of Jesus, he has a demon. By which I think they're saying... You are talking crazy, the kind of crazy that can only be explained by demonic influence. Jesus has said, they're of their father the devil, and this means they lie. Their father is the father of lies. And now, you see what they've done, they dismissed him. You have a demon, everything you're saying is delusional, it's crazy, it's a lie. And note that this switch is not done by secular humanists. It's not done by pagans. This is not done by pantheists who would say we're all part of God or we are gods. This switch is done by those who claim the Old Testament. By those who claim to be the offspring of Abraham. Know that this kind of sin can be done not only by those who know the Bible, it can be done by those who think they are defending the Bible. This kind of switch is done by those who believe 
they're being biblical. And how can you tell if this is being done? Jesus has already put forward the test. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now that is hitting them, especially as they're considering Jesus speaking in that very instance. But I think there's a, there's a breadth to that test concerning all the Scriptures. If you abide in them as they are the Word of Christ, all of them, you are truly His disciple. They don't fail the abiding in Jesus' Word just in the moment as He's speaking. They fail the abiding in His Word before He ever came on their radar. They were failing that test. It's just becoming manifest by their interactions. If you try to revise the Word of God, if you try to edit it, erasing some truths that you find less palatable, if you try to customize your Jesus... You aren't abiding in the Word as His Word. You're among those who pick up stones to cast at Christ. You may want a Messiah. You may call Him Jesus. You may say you believe in Him. But if it isn't the Jesus of the Word, received as He is, you are trying to pull this ultimate switch. Instead of being content as one made in the image of God, you want to remake God in your own image. And you call it good. You think yourself religious and right in doing so. All this hatred, all this vitriol is being spewed by those who claim to be the children of Abraham, who claim to be the children of God. By those who claim to be the people of of the Old Testament, and by certain measures are the people of the Old Testament. Having the New Testament doesn't make you immune. There are people of the New Testament who commit the same switch. They reject the true Jesus for the illegitimate. They reject Him saying, I couldn't believe in that Jesus. That kind of Jesus is demonic. That kind of Jesus is evil. That's not my Jesus. They have a false Jesus that condones their switch. Some hold that Jesus only answers one of their accusations. That the other isn't addressed at all. He just dismisses it as not worthy of any kind of comment. I think that the two accusations are really one. You are a Samaritan and have a demon. It's really one accusation And actually, as you break it down to these two parts, it's the one that they assume is just completely dismissed that I think he actually focuses in on. So he explicitly denies, I don't have a demon. The other accusation, you have a Samaritan, is tied to Jesus' statement that he honors the Father. You have a Samaritan, meaning you're not a child of Abraham, you're not a child of God, and he does answer that accusation. I honor the Father. 
Verse 49, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father. So their slanderous accusation is a rejection to Je- uh, a reaction to Jesus' condemnation of their parentage. In response, they insult his. That's what Jesus is answering. I do not have a demon, but I honor my father. You have a demon, you're a Samaritan. I do not have a demon. I honor my Father. And there are two horrifying res- results of insulting Jesus in this kind of way. If you dishonor Christ, you dishonor the one who honors the Father, which means you've dishonored the Father. I honor my father and you dishonor me. You're dishonoring the one who's honoring the father. Therefore, you're dishonoring the father. You cannot deal with Jesus in isolation. And however you deal with Jesus is how you deal with the father. He is the second person of the indivisible trinity. We have seen this again and again. John 5.19, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. 5.23, whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. There's no possible way you can honor the Father unless you're honoring the Son. John 5.30, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. John 7.16, my teaching is not mine, but His who sent me. John 8.28, I can do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And He who sent me is with me. He's not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. You cannot deal with Jesus in isolation. Your attitude towards the Son is your attitude towards the Father. You have no other attitude towards the Father other than that towards His Son. You cannot deal with Jesus in isolation. You can't deal with the Father in isolation. You dishonor Him, you've dishonored the one who honors the Father. And there's no other way you can honor the Father other than your attitude towards Jesus. But, you not only dishonor the one who honors the Father, you dishonor the one the Father honors. You dishonor the one who honors the Father, and you dishonor the one that the Father honors. Honors. I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it. Jesus doesn't seek his own glory. The Father does. John 5 20 through 23. The Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. What does he mean? The Father is going to show greater works to the Son that you may marvel. How are you to marvel? For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. So why is the Father revealing these things to the Son? So that they may marvel. Marvel in what way? That they might marvel at the Son. Honoring Him. 
just as they honor the Father. Shame heaped on Jesus is not heaped on Him as some kind of formal ambassador and nothing more. Just one who represents God. As though the president says, we need to send an ambassador to this nation. And then other powers that be make sure that ambassador is sent. And he's shamed. Not because there's no kind of personal relationship between the president and this ambassador. He's just shamed by that nation. And the president takes it personally because their shaming him isn't about him at all. It's just about the president. It's different than that. It's much more than that. 1 John 2.23 No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. They've heaped shame on the one the Father loves to honor. It's not just an ambassador sent representing Him. This is the one the Father loves to honor. I dare say it would have been better for them to directly oppose the Father Himself rather than the Son whom the Father loves to dishonor Him. Sinful man already stands under the wrath of God. Could there be, is there any greater provocation of His just and righteous anger towards us than to dishonor, to disgrace, to revile the Son, His beloved Son, His only begotten Son, whom in all things He seeks to exalt above all things. Ridicule the Son And you are working at cross purposes to God Almighty, who in all history, who in all creation, who in everything is working so that the name of Jesus be exalted above all names. The one who seeks to glorify the Son is, verse 50, the judge. Do you sense the magnitude of what Jesus is trying to bring to their realization? I do not seek my own glory. There's one who seeks it. You're working at cross purposes towards that. And the one who's seeking to glorify me is the judge. Despite this provocation and this ridicule, Jesus then tells them, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Has Jesus abruptly changed the subject? I don't think he has at all. In light of where he's brought them, concerning their dishonoring him, and the dire place that puts them in, you're dealing with the judge when you dishonor me. He's calling for them to honor Him again in grace and saying, if you do, you will never see death. Whoever is of God, verse 47, hears the Word of God. It takes you back to that. It takes you back also to what He said in 31 and 32. His opening statement to these very Jews, if you abide in My Word, you are 
truly my disciples, and you you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It recalls what opened everything that's unfolded here. That, That statement that he made to their Jewish leaders that they rejected. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. What grace there is in Christ. Again and again, as they are rejecting the one, not casually, but with slanderous accusations like, you have a demon and you're a Samaritan. What grace there is in Christ that He keeps bringing this gospel truth of who He is before them. That they might honor Him and in honoring Him have life. What grace that the Father would give His Son to save such sinners as would put themselves in the place of the Son and put the Son in their place. But for those who would follow Christ, for those who would keep His Word, abide in it, He says, they will never see death. It's not that they'll never see someone die. It's not that they'll never have to face death themselves. It's that they won't have to face the death of death. They won't have to face death unto death because they've died with Christ and they've risen with His resurrection life. Death won't be unto death for them. In Revelation 21.8, we read of the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, liars, all having their portion in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. And then it describes this as the second death. That death will never be seen by those who have already died in Christ and risen spiritually. They only see the first death. J.C. Ryle says the first death is a shadow and type of the second death. But if you've died and risen with Christ, you will only ever see the shadow. You'll never be enveloped in the darkness of cursedness and forsakenness And the wrath of God because Christ bore that on the cross. You will only see the shadow. He was immersed in the black pit of hell. Because you tried to take his place. He graciously took yours. That you might never see death. Jesus' answer Uh, Excuse me, the Jews answer with the same accusation in verses 52 through 53. But this time they pretend higher certainty. Now we know that you have a demon. And at least this time they do try to substantiate their claim. Verse 53. Now we know that you have a demon. Excuse me, verse 52. Abraham died as did the prophets, yet you say if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Verse 53, are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Abraham has been the topic of much of their conversation. Abraham died, the prophets died. Are you greater than Abraham? This is their big gotcha moment. Are you greater than Abraham? Who do you make yourself out to be? Is he greater than Abraham? Yes. Who does he make himself out to be? That's the wrong question. 
They missed what Jesus has just told them. It's not who Jesus makes himself out to be. It's who the Father makes himself out to be, makes Jesus out to be. Is he greater than Abraham? Yes. He's the one honored by their father. He is the Christ. He's the son. Like their leaders, they believe Jesus is bearing witness to himself and now they've rejected him. These are the Jews who believed on him. And as we read that, we no doubt think of them as among those who 7 and verse 41 told us they were saying, this is the Christ. They're among that crowd. This is the Christ. They've believed on him. And in taking him to be the Christ, no doubt they would have then at that point esteemed him to be greater than Abraham. But now because he's offended them, he can't be the Christ. He's bearing witness to himself. And so he's not greater than Abraham. Rejecting him, they ridicule him. He cannot be greater than Abraham. They think they've got him in some big gotcha moment. Looking for a Messiah of their own making, rejecting the one that God has sent. They, in their darkness, call the light darkness. In their bondage, they refuse the one who can give them freedom. Jesus answers both of their questions in reverse order, verses 54 54 through 56. Who does Jesus make himself out to be? He answers, verse 54, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me. Of whom you say, He is our God. The very Father that they say, He is our God, Jesus says, You do not know Him. I know Him, verse 55, If I were to say that I do not know Him, I would be a liar like you. You say you know Him, that's a lie. If I were to say I don't know Him, that would be a lie. So, who do you make yourself out to be? The Father glorifies me. Are you greater than Abraham? Verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. How was it that Abraham saw the day of Christ? I think there are two texts that will be more than adequate to show this. Galatians 3, 8-9. through The scripture, this is the Old Testament. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel. Remind you of what I was saying earlier. Jesus said to them, excuse me, verse uh, 51, if anyone keeps my word, his word, Old Testament is included in that. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel. It's his word. Preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, In you, Abraham, all the nations shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith. New Testament people. Those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. When you believe in Jesus, it's the very same faith Abraham had when he heard that promise. Second, 
text, speaking of Abel, Enoch, Abraham, and Sarah, Hebrews tells us, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged they were strangers and exiles on the earth, Hebrews eleven thirteen. So, all of God's promises are gospel promises, promises that find their fruition in Christ. First Corinthians one twenty says, "All the promises of God find their yes in Him." All the promises find their yes in Him. You cannot find a yes to any of God's promises outside of Jesus. The answer is always no. In Jesus, yes. When Abraham rejoiced in those promises, whenever it says he greeted them, he, he heard this promise and he greeted it, that was his being glad at the day of Jesus. And by faith, it was right there with him in that moment already. He saw it by faith and he was glad. There is and always has been one and only one way to the Father. And that is through the Son. There is no other gospel. There is no other good news. There is no other hope than this. It doesn't matter how you try to play switcheroo and call light darkness and darkness light. No matter how great the religion is that you've invented, all of it is a rejecting of the only way that there is, and that's Christ and Christ alone. There's no other way that you can honor the Father than honoring the Son. Any other attempt to go towards the Father is a dishonoring the one that the Father honors and a dishonoring of the one who honors the Father. They think Jesus' claim is absurd, verse 57. Abraham died roughly 2,000 years ago. 1,850 years ago. You're not yet 50. Have you seen Abraham? That's not a sincere question. That's a scoff. Jesus' answer explains that he's not simply older. He's far more. He's not ancient, dusty, decrepit. He's not ancient. He is absolute existence, being. He's not old. He is eternal. He doesn't tell them before Abraham was, I was. He doesn't merely pre-exist Abraham. He tells them before Abraham was, I am. He is from everlasting to everlasting. Whenever God commissioned Moses out of the burning bush, Moses asked, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And he told Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Say this to the people of Israel. Yahweh, 
the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. This is the name of God and it's to be remembered. It's to be known and not only known, but remembered. It's a covenant treasure of the people of God. And His name, Yahweh, is built upon that expression, I am. I am. The name of God, Yahweh, represented by the all caps Lord in the Old Testament, is used some 7,000 times in the Hebrew Old Testament. The name of God, I am. I take to be God saying, you want a name, something that communicates who I am. And the only thing that can communicate who I am is me. I am who I am. He's holy. He's completely separate and other and transcendent. Yes, man is Made in His image, but man is creation. He alone is creator. There's no other like Him. He is immutable. He's not the I was. He's not the I will be. He is eternally the I am. He does not change. He does not grow greater. He never waxes or wanes. And he has a saity. That is to say, he has of himselfness. He doesn't just have life, he is life. He is light, he is life, he has a saity of himselfness. All else needs him, he needs nothing. He is the fountain. Everything else flows from him and back to him. Now, Jesus has already said, I am the light of the world. And when he said that, he as much as said, I am, if they would have but had ears to hear it. David praised Yahweh saying, Yahweh is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? Yahweh is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? So when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he's already laid claim to being Yahweh. But in paradoxical glory, what's happened now is that's at the beginning of this whole interaction in chapter 8. Set off by this. It begins with Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. And it ends with Jesus saying, I am. And the paradoxical glory is that Jesus says the same thing with less words. He only keeps two words. And he says the same thing. He not only says the same thing, he says it louder. He says more with two words. And that he has said more now by only keeping two words is plain because now they hear. Well, they hear, but they don't hear. What Jesus has been communicating registers now. But it's not received. It registers. But it's not received. Verse 59. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Leviticus 24, 16 says, Whoever blasphemes the name 
of Yahweh shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him, the sojourner as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. They've so twisted things that they believe they are obeying these words whenever they are ready to stone the one who spoke them. This is the ultimate switcheroo. That the creation would stand in judgment over the Creator. Just as in the garden, it's a total failure. They try to be like God. They try to put God in the place of the serpent, in subjection under their feet. But Jesus hid Himself and went out of the temple. Recent interactions during the Feast of Booths, which I believe we're, we're still in, have explained why this is so. 7 and verse 30. They were seeking to arrest Him, but no one laid a hand on Him because His hour had not yet come. Again, 8 and verse 20. These words He spoke in the treasury as He taught in the temple, but no one arrested Him because His hour had not yet come. In stunning humility and wisdom, the great I Am, God the Son does not allow himself to be arrested until the proper hour whenever he will go in obedience to his Father so that grace might come to sinners such as put themselves in the place of God as he puts himself in the place of those sinners. Jesus came not to pull off some deceitful, wicked switcheroo. But He came as a gracious substitute. The I Am became He who is God eternally, remains so eternally, became what He was not. Remaining God. John Murray puts it this way, the incarnation means that he who never began to be in a specific identity as son of God began to be what he eternally was not, the son of man. He came as the second Adam to be the righteousness of all who would trust in him and bear away their sins. John Stott writes, the concept of substitution may be said then, to lie at the heart of both sin and salvation. Substitution is at the heart of both sin and salvation. For the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Man asserts himself against God and puts himself where only God deserves to be. God sacrifices Himself for man and puts Himself where only man deserves to be. Man claims prerogatives that belong to God alone. God accepts penalties that belong to man alone. In answer to the great switcheroo and wickedness of man, we have the great substitution and grace of God. And He's extending it to them in the very face of this sin. If you're wondering today, is there hope for me, a sinner who has sinned against God so, is there hope? Look to Christ. Look to Christ. Don't look at yourself. 
You've seen the sin. Look to Christ. Yes, there's hope. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Who took your place. You'll be clothed in His righteousness. Cease your trying to switch places with God. Cease trying to cover up your self. Idolatry is religion. Repent of trying to take the place of God and believe in the Christ who took the place of sinners. And you'll find your place with Him in the resurrection. You will never see death. You will walk in the light of life. Let's pray. Holy Father, thank You for Christ. We honor Him. We do not trust in ourselves. We cling to Him. His life, His death, His resurrection, His ascension, our session. All we have is Christ. He's all of our salvation. And oh, the boldness, the reconciliation, the adoption, the grace, the promises, every one of them. Yes, in Him. Thank you for the gift of Christ. Father, we plead. Not only that you would open eyes to treasure him. Yes, may that be so now. For any of these dear friends with us today, we ask, open their eyes. But open our eyes more and more. Oh, if there's a prayer that by your spirit, through Christ, I believe we can lift up to you. Know it will be heard. It's this. Father, give us eyes to see and treasure your son. Oh, how you love your Son. Put that love in us. Your love, by your Spirit, may we love the Son. As you love your Son. Bring us towards that end more and more until the day of glory. And we be caught up blissfully in this triune love. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon audio from Meridian Church. Please feel free to share this resource with others. We only ask that you do not alter the content in any way. Again, you can find more resources at meridianchurch.com.